Hello and welcome to The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. I'm Austin Rude, and I'm the son. And I'm Phil Rude, I'm the dad. Every week we watch a movie, then we get on the mic, and we talk about it. Correct. And we're kicking off a new double feature this week. That is. I'm excited about this one, because it's a movie, uh... Oh, only because it's your pick. Well, yeah, and I always have the best ones, but, uh... This is a movie we both like, so I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about it on the podcast Sometimes yet. the movies that I like the best are either movies that have been talked about a lot, or I have talked about them while talking about other movies, mm-hmm. or they just are sometimes, and I don't know if this one qualifies as that, sometimes there's just not a whole lot to mine for discussion. I like this movie in a very, like, superficial way. You know what I mean? That's fair. This movie's yeah. very fun. Uh, but uh, I think there is a little more under the surface. But some movies that I like are just uh, just really fun movies that I just enjoy. And then when you go to, like, break it down, you're like, uh, there's not a lot there. We've had a few of those. It, that, it's that it's I- hard to describe, this movie makes my brain go... Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, I, I get a dopamine hit from it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, nice... uh, Ready or Not, I think, is the our kind of go-to that we've oh, done that on here. One, yeah. Where that movie is super fun, but, like, ultimately, it's just not a lot to talk about with it. You know, not a it's lot just, to analyze. Yeah. There. It's a, it's a, it's a, just a really fun genre movie, but. But I, I, I think we'll find some stuff with this movie. Uh, well, I think so. Because this week we watched Baby Driver. That's right. I, I don't know if I said that yet. No, uh, we haven't. We've been talking <laughs> on and on. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, Baby Driver is a movie that follows Baby, a getaway, a getaway driver who uses music to drown out his tinnitus as he attempts to escape the criminal world that he found himself involved in at a young age. Having owed a lot of money to a crime boss known as Doc... Baby thinks he can pay his debts and walk away a free man, but it's never that easy. Uh, by the way, I don't know if Doc is a crime boss or... He's some sort of... I was going to call him a mob boss. I was like, I don't know he's what some his sort title of is. crime... Uh, robbery manager. Robbery manager, yeah. He's like a, a middle management guy or... Uh, <laughs> I think he's some sort of... Uh, it's implied he's some sort of drug dealer uh, mm-hmm. who also puts together robbery crews like the idea that his car was stolen and he had a lot of merchandise in the trunk right. I, I think I think he's just involved in a lot of the city crime of Atlanta he's kind of a jack of all trades yeah but only if the trade is crime right <laughs> uh, but anyway uh baby driver was written and directed by Edgar Wright and it stars every canceled person on the planet. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to now get that this would be out of the way. A great, a great movie. Like, let's get everybody who's ever been OJ canceled. is in this. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I just wanted to address it. Uh, there's real some elephants quick. in the room here that I think we're not going to get around. But and and then not talk about the elephant anymore because I want to talk about the movie. But I I do want to address the fact that yes, Kevin Spacey's in this movie. Yes, and also Ansel. El Gord, El Gord, and yeah. a few other people have had a very, a lot of allegations towards them. Uh, uh, yeah, 
weird scandals. Ansel Elgort is one of those people that I think has had a lot of, he's one of those allegations people. Like, there's not definitive stuff. He continues to work. He's in West Side Story, like, a year ago. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, but uh, there's a lot of people who are like, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those situations where you're like, you know, if enough people are, are screaming that this guy is, at the very least, inappropriate, mm-hmm. uh, then there's probably some problematic things with this guy. It's, it's uh, weird it's, to me that, like, there's... He's a strange, he's a strange guy because you can't find a lot of solid... Not that things aren't believed, but you can't find a lot. Like he's not been sued. Nothing criminal. Nothing. You know what I mean? But like a lot right. of a lot of weird allegations. It's it, it, it reminds me of James Franco eyebrow. kind of thing, where it's sort of like people talked about that guy for years before everyone finally just collectively decided, yeah, this guy's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> yeah, we've had enough. It's uh, a, it's a weird thing. Yeah, but yeah, I just wanted to. Kind of and get Kevin that Spacey. Out of the way. Yeah. yeah. I we all know about what happened. I do and... have some notes on Kevin Spacey, and this is the kind of thing where uh he's in he's one of these guys who's like in some great movies, including this. He's in Moon. Going back, you know, like uh uh what's the Sam Mendes movie that he was in? I, I, I don't know. I'm not going to remember it right off, but uh, people know what I'm talking about with Annette Benning and uh, he plays Lester Burnham, this middle-aged cri- midlife crisis movie. Uh, geez, what's that movie called? Uh, anyway, um, that all the way back to like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. And he's one of these people, I'm pretty good at separating art from artist. I can I watch movies with canceled people in them all the time. That's not a brag or any anti woke thing. Just a lot of times I can kind of go, yeah, I get that this guy's a problem, but I can. So it is so distract. Kevin Spacey is so distracting to me in this movie. Uh, I realized last night just because I know what kind of an asshole mm. he. It's it's like so documented. Not just the thing that got him canceled, his excuse for it, his weird. Uh, videos his, that he made as coming out like it, yes uh, 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 everything about him is just so it's so distracting now and I'm trying to watch it last night without thinking about that and I kind of couldn't but I could also kind of see like this is a really fun performance and he's good in it and that's the shame of it it's like mm-hmm. you know when he goes stop stop saying lines from Monsters Inc at me like uh, that's just such a funny line and i think his delivery on a lot of things are is really fun and really good and it just it kind of breaks my heart that like i just can't escape what a piece of shit you are you know i i i feel the same way i wasn't i don't think i thought about it much at all during this movie i'm kind of of the opinion that like i don't like giving money to someone who i think is a bad person but I can separate the art from the artist. Sure. If it's like, you know, whatever. But like, no, I, I really like uh, Doc in this movie. And he kind of reminds me of the character from Kingsman. Uh, the Kingsman, do you know? Uh, like the British guy the, who's very like posh. Oh yeah, and... the British guy in the Kingsman. Okay, yeah. well. <laughs> I know I know who you're talking about and I, uh, I can't think of his name right now. It's, I'm... I'm just shit for recollection this morning, but, uh, 
Eh, yeah, I, I know. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but I that kind of a fun, kind of a dry, with, uh, yeah. a dry wit, and a, a real like kind of um like funny without like clever kind of thing. Yeah, you know when he's he's doing the big exposition dump about baby. You know, explaining how he came to be in his service. And then he goes, look at that. I just drew a map of the whole fucking city while we're sitting here. And it's sort of like, yeah, that's kind of an Edgar Wright, clever, uh, funny line. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the British uh, delivery that reminds you of that with the Edgar Wright it script. Is. It's, it's very dry humor. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I'm getting sure. all of that aside... Uh, where was I? All right, uh, the cast. Uh, yeah, we're in. We're still in cast. Uh, well, it's got Ansel Elgort, Lily James, John Bernthal, John Hamm. A lot of J- Johns in this movie. Uh, Kevin Spacey, James Fox, Jamie Fox, Jamie Fox, yes, and uh, Isa Gonzalez, I believe. I'm right, saying that plays right. darling. Yes. Yep. Uh, by the way, American Beauty was the Kevin Spacey movie I was trying to think of. Oh, okay. Uh, great movie, honestly, but... But distracting. Now it's distracting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, yeah, uh, there's a great cast in here. You said John Bernthal and John Hamm. Mm-hmm. At one time, two of the top stars on AMC in The Walking Dead and uh, Mad Men. That's true. At um, the same time, yeah. right? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, there's some overlap in there. Okay. In the early... Because John Bernthal was only in, like... The first season of The Walking Dead, right? Yeah. Or maybe season two? He came back a little bit, but he wasn't in it long. The Punisher. But I I like John Bernthal in this movie. He always kind of plays the same kind of alpha male Mm kind of dude. But I think he's really fun at it sometimes. And I think this is... One of those. It's a real small role, but he he gives it his all, and I love the scene where he's taking the sunglasses, and every time Baby puts <laughs> he keeps on new pulling sunglasses. out more sunglasses. <laughs> uh, my one critique is his character is bats. Like, I I feel like that scene was written for bats, and hmm. then they were like, "Oh, we have to have a different crew each time," and. Because that scene, yeah. that could have gone to bats. It's the same kind he, of he like is the same questionable. Uh, I don't like baby. Is he? Right. Uh, is he retarded? He's you know, doubting like baby like that kind uh, is of he? Me- they're they're questioning like is he mentally challenged? Like the mm-hmm. the you know, they say I use the word because it comes up and it's done in. I don't know if it's inappropriate or not, but it's done in a really funny way when he makes the rap song about you know. Yes, that means retarded slow. means slow. Is, is he slow? Is he slow? And he does the the whole thing. It's just a really uh, funny thing. But like, yeah, they both have the same lines because they both have that line where they accuse him of being mentally handicapped. Yeah. And uh, and kind of just like, what's his problem? What's wrong with him? It's you, I I don't think you're wrong. It's a little redundant, is what I'll say. But I like his performance so well that I'm like. Okay, and and I understand the reason for it. Yeah, like technically, like okay, we got to have different people on each cruise. So. Well, and it also sort of, um, it brings in the idea that people, these criminals, are suspicious of baby, like consistently. 
Mm-hmm. Like that that's the through line is that he doesn't belong in this world. If, if people from these different crews are questioning, do you belong here? Are you hard enough for this? Are you, are you tough? What's the matter with him? You know, he's not strutting like the rest of us are. He's just kind of cavalier. And, and it also it kind of establishes uh, John Hamm, uh, Buddy and Darling as sort of his protectors. They're always like, leave him alone. Leave him alone. He's a good, he's a good driver. Leave him alone. You know, like, uh, which makes the turn at the end, I think, more worth it. Yeah, the, they're like almost like parents, not like real parents, but they're just kind of like, they see him as like this kid. They like, like him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Give him some slack. He's fine. He's, he'll drive the car. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, the idea, oh, he's good. And then they like bond over music, John Hamm and him, mm-hmm. you know, put the, the queen, queen song, song on. Uh, but yeah, I love John Hamm. We're going to talk about him more. I've been rewatching Mad Men. Uh, and I'm just, I'm just such a huge fan of everything he does. Uh, 30 Rock, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I think he's super funny. And he also has this range of being like really serious as Don Draper. And, uh, honestly really menacing in this movie. Like he, he turns out like the big surprise to me the first time I watched this movie was how, how mean and how menacing John Hamm is able to play because you kind of see his serious stuff in some of his roles, but you don't really see him murderous right. until, until this movie. But I like that. Like, uh, I, I think like he's his great serious stuff yeah. more, even though he's able to kind of do everything. He's <laughs> yeah. in a lot of really funny comedies, but uh, I, I like the serious stuff. Yeah. He's great in this as is uh, what's the, his wife's name who plays darling i'm sorry uh isa gonzalez that's it she's she's really good in this um i i just think she plays that role of there's sort of a bonnie and clyde reckless couple mm-hmm. and that you know it kind of comes out like oh yeah you guys just do a job and then do drugs until you need more money, and then come and do another. And it's just it's like sort of an like, endless cycle yes, of like. But they're passion. but they're you can see that they're like having fun with it. Like it's something they're really kind of enjoying. And I think the the opening scene, um, when they pull up to the first bank at the very beginning of the movie, yeah. and it goes around the car, and Baby's real serious, and John Bernthal. And John Hamm, they all have their sunglasses on and they're just looking like deadly serious tough guys. And then it cuts to her and she looks serious and then cracks a smile like, here we go. Like, we're getting on the roller coaster kind of thing. I was going to say a roller coaster, like she's an adrenaline like, junkie. Yeah, they're having fun with it. And it's just a really, um, I, I think that's just such a great touch in one of the details of this movie where they're just sort of like, yeah, we could all have them be hard asses. Let's have somebody having fun and let's let it be darling because she's uh, she's like the kid on the roller coaster for the first time. I well, I like uh, later on in the movie when there's a line where they're talking about what are we going to do after this score? Oh, yeah. And uh, he's like, let's go to Vegas and get married again. And like, <laughs> just this kind of thing of like, they repeat this cycle. They're in a of, cycle. Yeah. And uh, Bats points out like, you're a stockbroker. You're, when you're he, this white collar yeah. kind of guy that uh, 
their normal lives are boring. You and went so too this far. Is their yeah. escape to try to get further and further. Uh, it's cool to see them that the signs that they're just going for the next bigger and bigger. Right. There's they're sort of chasing chasing the high all the time. Yeah. Uh, literally, and you know the adrenaline of it. But yeah. Um, but then it's almost like, like Bats kind of talks like he does that too, where he's like, uh, you rob to support a drug habit. I do drugs to support a robbery habit, which is just like a semantic nonsense. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, you kind of get that he likes doing, he likes crime too. Like and he's, he's having fun with it in a weird way. But he's very focused about it. He's kind of yeah. like, uh, very serious, like that coworker that, uh, comes in an hour early and like everyone oh, yeah. wants everyone to take the job as seriously as they do. They're like, just wound too tight kind yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, like he's like, I don't do drugs or listen to music while doing my heist. Right. This is very important, serious business. Yeah. Like uh, he, he gets on baby for having earbuds in, mm-hmm. you know, and not listening to the plan, even though he's got. He listens. He takes it all in. Like, the whole thing. Yeah, he's he's insanely uh, serious about it and, like, all business. But also murderous as hell. Like, like totally Like reckless. a total psychopath, you know, uh, when he goes in to get gum in the in the oh, convenience gosh. store. And basically, maybe he killed the, t- the, the clerk in the store. You know we what I mean? We don't know. We don't know. Like, uh, we know he... At the very least, beat him to a pulp, probably, because that's what he does. And then he comes in with, like, all the gum in the store and just throws it in the backseat. It's so funny. <laughs> it, it's like he, his character is trying to make the biggest mess that he could possibly, right. like, get out of. Like, he's just addicted yeah. to, like, I'm going to put myself in a situation that's dangerous so that I can get out of it. He's a chaos agent. Mm-hmm. basically you know like even when they go to the diner and they're getting ready to leave and he pulls his gun he's like all right let's do it. you know and and baby stops him it's like everywhere he goes you know even it's like dude it's right before a job you should be the most invisible you can be and you know he's he's about pulling to, off all these crimes yeah he's about to pull a gun and rob or beat or kill everybody in that diner it's just mm-hmm. he's insane but I love that scene. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna jump straight to that yeah, scene. Yeah, go for it. That's like that's such a scene of like uh, I I don't think he was ever intending to rob the store. Maybe he was, but I think he knew that baby. He was testing knew him. the waitress. Yeah, he, yeah, and that's when baby showed his hand. Is when he finally said no to them and right. grabbed the gun and like the look in his eyes of. This is serious and back down, but it's too late because he kind of showed his hand. He he's revealed that he ca- this is what he cares about, right? He and so they can take advantage. It, of it starts at when they're driving by, and he's like, "No, I don't want to go." You know, yeah. and and uh, Jamie Fox goes, "Oh, you don't want to go there? Oh, we gotta go now. <laughs> like, we gotta find out it's why you serious. don't want to go there." Yep. And that's where you see that Buddy starts uh, scoping out. He starts to get suspicious and scoping out what Baby's doing. You know, when they go back to uh, Doc's building, whatever that 
weird abandoned office building is that, that they... Their headquarters. The headquarters, the, the hideout. Yeah. Um, and um, and they're, they're kind of going around and they're like, okay, are we doing this job or not? And Baby's the decider. And he goes, let's get some fucking sleep. And Buddy kind of, lo- he's like, that's weird. Like, he's never like that's not this like hungry. To, yeah. yeah. And you just see like every, all the suspicion starts landing on him right there. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just a... Uh, I don't know. I I love the the slow going off the rails of it in the in in that part of the movie, like the second act, where yeah, like baby's escape. About plan. the time the gun the gun buy goes sideways is when it all starts kind of coming off the rails. One might say it goes a little bananas. Bananas. I did not hear bananas. bananas. See, again, such a fun delivery. Uh, it really is. It's a shame. Um, it, it is a shame. Anyway, uh, I I also kind of wanted to talk about, because uh, this feeds into kind of the showing of Baby's hand and how... Uh, yeah. Losing my train of thought here. Uh, no, no, but we got it. Th- we'll get through this. I know we will. Thank we're, you. Uh, we're a little uh, groggy this morning. But... Uh, the beginning of the movie, I think, perfectly sets up the stakes, because uh, really, I feel like a lot of what this movie is about is Baby's innocence and, like, his soul, and is he a criminal? He doesn't belong in this world, but he's getting his hands dirty, that whole kind of thing. Right. Uh, and so, like, the very beginning, how we get introduced to, like, uh, his foster dad, Joe, and... right. Uh, the whole mm-hmm. montage of, like, obviously we start with him being the getaway driver, but then it's like, he's the coffee guy. Uh, and he's the kid that they send out when the grown-up work is being done. Right, like when they're murdering someone who screwed up on the job. Right, right. Uh, but that kind of thing of introducing all of these characters that, like, he's got the innocent characters and Joe and Deborah later on. And, you know, the the devil on his shoulder being Doc and how yeah. that's all working out. Yeah, there's the the idea that um he's the he's the getaway driver, you know. They set that up at the beginning. Like mm-hmm. he's the guy. And then uh and they do that in a similar way that uh, have you seen the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling? I have not. Uh it's it's a very serious version of this movie. Okay. It's about a, a getaway driver, basically. Um but it like the beginning of it is the same. It's him driving a crew. And uh that they open the same way. He waits in the car while they go in. We don't see what they're doing in there. Mm-hmm. And then they come out and then it's the chase through LA of him losing the cops and and getting away and then getting in an underground garage. I mean it's it's literally like the same thing. I'm sure it but inspired There's this. no music, there's no fun to it. It's mm. it's it's a deadly serious movie. I I enjoy the movie Drive so a lot. It's kind of a thriller like very yes, tension based. It's a it's a real um like tense crime drama. Uh it's kind of divisive. Some people are like, "Uh oh, it's like overly serious and not fun at all. I, mm-hmm. I think it's very stylized and I think really 
a fun, not fun in a, in this way, but like a really enjoyable, uh, serious, dark movie. Uh, it's okay. crazy violent. And I, yeah. Weird. I always thought it was kind of like, uh, 48 hours, like kind of, uh, oh, like uh, very almost cheesy action movie. No, uh, another Ryan Gosling movie would be, uh, the nice guys, which I just rewatched, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of that it's a buddy, buddy cop, uh, throwback takes place in the seventies. It's directed by Shane Black. It's great. Okay. Uh, him and Russell Crowe. Uh, anyway, that that whole thing set up is just like, oh, okay, this is what he does. And then I just, I love the slow reveal of, you know, over the next 15 or 20 minutes of like, oh, he has to do that. He doesn't like doing this. He's not one of these people. He doesn't fit in with these people. Uh, and he's essentially an indentured servant. Right, he's kind of trapped there because he stole from Doc a long, long time right. ago. Right, when he was a child, he was a literal child. <laughs> like, it's the the idea that, I, I, th- I think there's something, whether it's intentional or not, about the idea of, um, <laughs> I bring up, like, uh, my, my pet peeve political issues, but, like, the idea that you can get a felony conviction when you're 18 years old and be not allowed to vote for the rest of your life to make, to make a mistake and, and have it haunt you for the rest of your life. There's something about that in the character of baby that he made a mistake when he was a literal child. Mm -hmm. And this is going to affect the rest of his life. Uh, Everything we see him do in the movie is affected by the fact that he stole a car from the wrong person. And he had no idea whose car it was. And also that like, Part of his mistake was showing that he's a child prodigy and showing he, a talent that can he, be exploited. He was good at something, yes. And instead of becoming like a NASCAR driver or, uh, you know, something like a legitimate skill, like right. he ends up, his his legit business in this is delivering pizzas real fast. <laughs> it's like his superpower that is being used by the wrong people, mm-hmm. you know. But it also shows that the real world doesn't really w- reward some skills that talent in <laughs> yes. the same kind of way, you know, like it's, yeah, there's a, there, there's a real interesting sort of like subtext to that, whether it's intentional, whether Edgar Wright meant to do that. He's English. I don't know if they have the same, uh, uh, felony hangups in in the UK, or if they have a little I more progr- progressive rehabilitation system. <laughs> Don't I'm sure that's what it you is. You were stealing <laughs> off with the hand. They right? put you in the the stocks, those things in the town square, and just humiliate you for like it, two days. It's still Victorian London mm-hmm. in my mind. <laughs> the peasants come out and throw vegetables at you. Uh, yeah, these that's kind of right. things. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's a there. I think there's a real great reveal, and by the time they get to seeing him at home with Joseph, uh, like that's a real like. Oh, he takes care of his foster dad. It's kind of a shock. It yeah. it really is. It's like oh, you think this is a carefree kid, and then he's like stashing cash under the floorboards. It's like Looper. It's like a hundred crime movies where the guy's working towards getting out. Mm-hmm. And then the reveal of like, oh, there's this old man in his apartment. And, oh, okay. You start to kind of put the pieces together. And then um, it, 
I, I want to talk about Joseph and, and the role he plays in this. Yeah. Because he is, uh, you have Deborah, who Doc knows about and lets him know. He goes, I know your waitress girl. You know, I know she's a waitress. I know about her. Mm-hmm. I, and Vague threat. Right. But then, like, when he shows up at Baby's apartment and reveals that he knows about Joe... And he goes, yeah, I know about you. Like, it, it's, I think it's it gets, scary. it gets real for, for baby at that point. Like, and not that it wasn't with Deborah, but I think there's the idea of like, Deborah can, not to be, don't take this as some kind of like ableist thing. Deborah's young. She can run. She can get away. Joseph mm-hmm. is in a wheelchair, kind of homebound and old and weak and really couldn't defend himself and he can't be around to protect him all the time like and and i think both of those characters are kind of metaphors uh like deborah is like his hope of getting away getting on the road a future right and joe is kind of his past like who took care of him he's his past his and i think died. he's his conscience i think he's yes. he's the guy who is constantly telling him you know you don't you shouldn't be doing this. He knows what he's doing. He knows that he, he has to do it, but he mm-hmm. also is like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And the the part where baby gets a job delivering pizza and he's counting out like singles and fives mm-hmm. instead of the $100 bills. And Joe is all happy about it. And he goes, look, you only have to wash your hands once. Like it's it's so it's it's this profound. very like look you earned this money honestly mm-hmm. and that is worth more and and it is sort of like the lesson an old man would tell you but it's also a truth it's like you are you are earning this honestly and it I, is I true. and I think that's what Joe Joe represents um someone who genuinely cares for him everybody else in baby's life is using him for something Right. Uh, he he's the guy who who took him in and and raised him and did the best he could with him. And it's I like I, his I th- only healthy relationship. Yes, in, until Deborah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I think I think the character of Joseph was a great addition to this movie because it could have just been like the town where he doesn't have anybody mm-hmm. except this new woman that he's in love with and that's the threat but the fact that i think that just joseph represents something bigger than him and at the end when he has to go leave him at the retirement home is like the saddest thing you know it is and it's one of the moments that the movie slows down uh yeah i don't know if there's music playing over that part or not Uh, there is Uh, there's a rem song uh off uh i don't remember the name of the song it's off Automatic for the People, which is like the best REM album. Okay. Um, uh, which is, it's cool because it's like a mellow uh, song. And also, I like it because REM is a Georgia band and this whole thing in is Georgia. in Atlanta. And, yeah. and I, th- I think it's like, oh yeah, this is like a homegrown kind okay. of, you know, it's not, whether that was intentional or not, I, I really like the, or it could just be that... Oh, we have access to the Sony Music Catalog, so here's what we have to choose from. Here's what <laughs> we got the rights to. Uh, but yeah, there is, and it's just, it, you don't remember it because it is like a real, like, low-key song. It's not like the rest of the music in this movie that is 
It's got a beat. It's driving forward. Everything is about the action and moving everything forward. So the music's kind of in the foreground for that scene. And the, uh, mu- it's in the background, just yeah. kind of laying low and slowing. Like the music does set the pace of, of this movie. It, mm-hmm. It's, um, and I, I want to talk about that in a minute, but like, yeah, that, that scene, the music slows down. Uh, he records his message, you know, uh, for the, for whoever finds Joe on the, the steps. Right. And, you know, when he says, will you be back? And he goes, I don't know. Like that's uh, like, that's he's being honest. terrible. Yeah. He's like, I, I don't know what, I, what, how this is going to end. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know. That's a really, I think, uh, I think probably the most genuine emotional scene in this movie. Yeah. That's um, all I got. Oh, there. okay. So, sorry. <laughs> No, that's cool. Um, I, I want to talk just real quick about the mu- the music and the way music is used. Well, that's kind of like the heart of this movie. So it is the heart of this movie, but also the way things are synced up to the music, like mm-hmm. the gunshots are the drum beats, right? They, with characters what, walking and yes, doors closing, everything. And all I can think of when I'm watching this whole thing is like this had to be insane to edit to put all of these things together so that they sync up with the music and it has to be like directing music videos basically um but there's i don't know it just makes it fun to watch it it uh, there's a uh, in the credit roll at the beginning there's a choreography credit and i know all action mm-hmm. movies are choreographed but this is choreographed in the same way that a musical would be choreographed. In the same way that, like, West Side Story would choreograph a fight where they're all singing and dancing at the same time. Like It's like it the whole movie is synchronized. Is synchronized to a s- score or a soundtrack that is running all the time. And I, there's just something... I think that's what hit me so hard the first time I watched this. Is like This is unlike any musical I've ever seen. Or any action movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of firing on all cylinders in that way. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but like... You are. Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> I It's been a little bit, but like... Looking at like Hot Fuzz and some of Edgar Wright's older stuff. Like, he does have like... Stuff like this. Like, it's not brand new for him... To have, like, kind of... It reminds me a little of Wes Anderson. How things are very highly specific. And oh. what the camera is showing. How it moves. Oh, for sure. And, yeah. like, that kind of thing. I thought you meant as far as, like, the music and stuff like that. Well, it hasn't been synced to music. That's a new thing for this. Right. But, like, I feel like he's always been highly, like... Oh, he's super visual. Particular yeah. about his cinematography. Even all the way like back that. to um, Space. Have you ever watched his TV series, Space, that no. he made with uh, Simon Pegg? It was like what they started with. I, uh, I didn't even know that was Way before, thing. not way before, but before Shaun of the Dead and stuff. Like They had this, this TV show in the UK called Spaced, and it's about 20-somethings kind of figuring their lives out. And there's so many like visual jokes in that you could see like this was edgar wright from the very beginning 
And it's why something like um, Last Night in Soho, which I know you love and I like, but my hang up with that is that it doesn't feel like an Edgar Wright movie because it's not, it's visual, but not in the same way. Hmm. Uh, I don't that or it doesn't stand out to me in the same that way. That kind of negates my I was going to bring up the point of how he evolved his style using this for it continues into Last Night in Soho because that's also got a lot of music synced. It does have music, a lot of a lot of music. All yeah. of that. Uh, it just feels like a wholly different beast to me. Like I will have to uh, watch it again to kind of pay attention to the visuals a little more. I, but the big thing I see in that visual is just them swinging between the modern day and the 1960s. Like the change in like aesthetic. It's a little more grounded in like how he's right. It's not. It's not. Sti- it's stuff. not stylized in the same way that this is where. You know, oh, I'll have a cup of coffee. And then it's like a close shot of the coffee being set down of, you know, her right. picking up the coffee pot, uh, the the laundromat scene where every dryer has the same, all red clothes, all yellow clothes. Like, perfectly. No, nobody separates their laundry like that. But for the sake of style, like, that totally fits in an Edgar Wright movie. And, you know, the shots of them listening uh, still in the laundromat, but like it comes to a, a shot of their feet and their, their feet are, Move into the it's such a, it's such a great and... visual that their, their feet are facing opposite ways and their one's tapping their toes and the other one's tapping their heel. And it's, it's just sort of, it's all done in this very specific, intentional, visually strong way in the same way that he directed the Coronetto trilogy to have these, these quick cut montages. It doesn't have that, but it has elements of that in here. I, and, yeah, I can see what you're saying. And that's what I, I'm saying. Like, that's the thing that's missing for me on uh, like one night in Soho. And I know directors evolve. I don't expect him to direct the same way all the time, but it is he, one thing that I love about Edgar Wright is how visual he is. And I think, I think an element of that is, is just not there for me. Uh, in this, in the same way, is in one night and so, which is still a good movie. I don't want you to I, think I'm knocking that n- movie. No, I, I that wasn't something I really noticed, but like that does kind of make sense. Yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, you brought up Wes it's Anderson, and I think Wes Anderson always, you know, he's evolving as a filmmaker, but his movies always kind of have a signature to them. They've all got that. Yeah. And and not everybody, you don't need to make the same movie over and over and over again. You don't, some people evolve. I still haven't seen that Edgar Wright, the Sparks Brothers documentary. And I, I'm really Me curious, neither. like what that looks like, because it's a documentary, which is completely different from what he's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I just, I love Edgar Wright. I love his style. I love that he is an auteur. He writes and directs. He makes the films he wants to make. And, uh, without exception, they're really interesting. I, th- I think all of his films are like this was a departure from the Coronetto trilogy. And it really kind of threw people, you know, because it's like, wait, Simon Pegg's not in this? And it's like, well, no, he doesn't have to make every movie with Simon Pegg. You know, wait, it's it's in America. Like that's it's, also kind of weird. And it's also yeah. a lot more serious in it's thrilling than his other. movies. It's darker for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. Yeah, there's a 
there's a lot of elements to this that I think run through the style of of Wright, but then I think he is exploring new territory, and I think that's really cool. Yeah. I I do want to say, while still on the topic of the music, uh, that I believe the, the soundtrack for this movie, because I've like seen in interviews and stuff, like Edgar Wright has wanted to make a movie like this for like decades he said right uh and he had the soundtrack for this movie like 10 years ago or something yeah like uh and he kept like updating it and oh maybe this will go for this scene but like uh he said in one interview that like the bell bottoms like oh yeah that was always gonna be the opening opening song uh i and there's something about that that shows like i just feel like yeah everything's really perfectly crafted in this movie you can tell someone really put a lot of thought oh there i think there's i think there's an incredible amount of attention to detail like we joked before we started recording about like oh we should break down the whole walking to get coffee scene but like we're not going to do that because there's ten thousand because everyone's done youtube videos breaking that down and that's not a dig on those youtubers because there's a lot going on there it's like it's like breaking down a Simpsons uh, opening mm-hmm. credit, you know, the amount of details and the graffiti and stuff like that. It's all just, it's really cool, man. Like the whole uh, cassette case when he, he makes a recording and then he puts it on a cassette and he puts it in there and just like, you know, you picked out some of the titles of the the recordings that he had. Mm-hmm. And it's They're just, fun. Yeah. It's just like oh, the, this, this level of, they could have just scribbled nonsense on all those and said, no one's going to pay attention to this. And it's like, no Mozart and a go-kart. Let's put that in there. And then let's have the big, uh, yellow label mom, the most important cassette mm-hmm. in there. Let's make sure you see that without pointing directly at it. And I just, I love that that comes back around. I love, and on top uh, of, of that, that uh another detail when they pour out all those cassettes later on you find that there's a second golden cassette and it says deborah yes from their meeting so so cute is there an edible thing going on with deborah yes there is works i was gonna bring it up she (laughs) works honestly that one of the things I love about this movie is I pick things up every time I watch it. And that came to me just now when you said the two yellow cassettes. Really? And I go, oh my God. There's a lot she to worked it. In the, she worked in the same diner mm-hmm. as his mom. and She's uh, got that singing voice. She's singing. The yeah, they, she's they, they talk about she's uh, she's constantly being yelled at by her boss. Just like his mom was always being yelled at by her dad mm-hmm. uh, in the flashbacks. That we, yeah. Oh, there's a... I, I, I just realized this movie's gross. Oh, oh. <laughs> don't watch this movie. Edgar Wright wants to bang his mom. Don't watch this movie. <laughs> you know, I don't like Oedipus and his theories. No, 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 no. I, but, I'm taking this too far. But I, I didn't, you know. Yeah. I think it's more uh, uh, if you want to prescribe it to pop psychology, there's the idea of like, uh, you you date someone who is nurturing to you in the way you know, like the, the idea familiar. that that you're you know you seek out 
something that you know is nurturing like mm-hmm. the, the and and that sometimes lines up with uh, I, we don't need to go any deeper I, into this <laughs> i did want to talk about deborah uh because oh, we have to talk about deborah because uh that actress is great mm-hmm. and she's in another music based uh movie and that's the the danny boyle yesterday the movie about uh what if the Beatles didn't exist? Oh, okay. Uh, she's the she's the love interest in that as well. I've seen that and I have not connected. <laughs> that the movie dots. is so forgettable. I'm sorry. I, I it's a great concept and I just did not care for that movie. What if we woke up in a world where everyone forgot that movie existed? <laughs> I think we did. I think maybe that makes that movie oh. genius. <laughs> like, the marketing that they went through. <laughs> No, but uh, in talking about Deborah, uh, I wanted to... You're right. She's very similar to the mom. Uh, and I think that's because she, like, almost like he has an opportunity to save his mom. Sure. That he has the opportunity to save himself and to go into this future. Because uh, that's kind of... The, I weirdly feel conflicted because I feel like her character is very flat as in like she kind of isn't a character she's more of an idea of hope and yet this movie made me love her so much like she does every scene she's in is great i i think a lesser actor maybe couldn't have fleshed out the character that much but i i don't think she's terribly uh flatly written either because she does have agency. She's not forced to go anywhere. She she makes choices. She chooses, yeah. Um, and uh, even at the very end, she starts to, like, run away from the cops and Baby stops her. And you're right. That is about where he is keeping her from, like, hey, don't get yourself brought into this world with a mistake the way I did. Like, he's... He's saving her from being put. That's what I, I like about the whole thing when they're fighting John Ham. Uh, baby shoots him. Baby kills uh, Buddy. Uh, he shoots him in the diner. She never does. And he kind of doesn't let her. And the movie kind of doesn't let her. It doesn't take her into that route of. Oh, she's murdered somebody mm-hmm. like that. Then I, it gets dark. Then the movie, I th- I think, would be too like that's an not irredeemable thing, but like she's not going to bounce back from that. And it's also kind of like then she'd be facing the consequences of baby's actions. Right. Yes. Uh, although I will say this time around, I had forgotten what happens and I did think she was going to hit John Hamm. With the tire iron and send him over the over ledge. the edge, yeah. Uh, but then he just f- kind of fell on his own. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think um, yeah. There's there's a thing in. Have you ever seen the the show Weeds? Yeah. There's a thing in a later season. I don't know how far you watched it. A, a few episodes, but they're maybe. like they're on the run and they're involved in the cartel. And then like there's a episode where the youngest son kills somebody to save his mom and it is handled with the weight of a feather pillow it is it is so glossed over and sort of glibly mentioned 
and sort of like laughed off. And it's like, no, dude, like this was your opportunity to get thing. super dramatic about this. And it, by that time, the show had jumped the shark six times. Um, but like that, that's what I feel like would have happened in this movie if Deborah had killed Buddy. If, mm-hmm. you know, and they would have either had to deal with it, which takes this movie in a really dark direction, or they would shrug it off, which feels disingenuous to what had just happened in the plot. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So I'm, I'm glad they kept it in this idea of like, oh, baby shot buddy, because baby's already in this world. And he's just sort of like, well, I got to lean in to get it. I got to go. Got to go in to get out, kind of thing. He he made the mess, but he's kind of his problem to deal with. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's pretty. It's pretty wild. That whole last, the whole third act when, yeah, uh, when they're on the run, yeah. It I love the the swings between, uh, the really violent, you know, fights with John Ham and. The the kind of lighter stuff of, you know, them stealing the Mustang from, uh, <laughs> you call them Skinny Pete and Jesse, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the two the two dudes vaping in the uh, oh, in the Mustang, and that song playing by the way is one of the best needle drops in this whole thing. The you think uh, the know how just the just the beat of it the mashup of of the Shaft theme with. Uh, with like a a, a hip hop beat, it go, it rolls into that, and right. when it's synced up with that scene where he's driving the Mustang through the, you know, in and out of traffic, I, cool. I I I think it's a I think it's a great choice, a really obscure, kind of weird deep cut, but that's what makes it work. I love that Edgar Wright pulled these kind of deep cut, even the old songs like, uh, like the Trex. Song, you know, the T-Rex song. I or, love that he goes uh, T-Rex tracks. And, 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 you know, they're pulling like these weird songs from like the Stax catalog out on the jukebox. And it's just sort of like, oh, these are really like, like songs I'm not familiar with, but they, they work so well for the movie. And if you're going to make a movie about a guy who's like deep into music and all you have is like the surface level, most popular songs of all time, I'm not going to believe that guy's really a, a deep, into music audiophile. Right, know? that's kind of far-fetched. Yeah. But also, like, not all that music is coming from him. It's kind of like... Yeah. Like, this is what the world's music tastes. Yes. Is. I really like that part of the movie. Like, it starts when... Uh, kind of after Darling gets killed and they're in the chase scene. Yeah. And then uh, his iPod gets shot. And he's forced to run away without the music. Yes. And, like, you feel it. And then it's like, okay, now he's in the stolen car. He's got to switch the the radio channels to get what he wants. And then, uh, like, each step of the, the journey, he has to find a new He has to find something to... Right. When he's running uh, without his iPod before he can steal the, the old lady's car, mm-hmm. he's feeling his pulse. And they, they put a drum beat over it while he's running. Like, he's concentrating on his body as music so he can so he I, can drown out the the tinnitus i didn't realize that yeah, the drum it, beat was it, I, it, I knew he's, the he's running thing. with his his fingers up to his neck it's just like such a brilliant touch to this movie 
Um, on top of like the opening of this movie, I'm backtrack all the way to the other end when the the TriStar logo is coming up. There's this really high pitched, uh, yeah, thing it, like like it's his it's his ringing is in this movie uh, almost throughout. I think like mm-hmm. uh, I can't. I can't hear all the frequencies I used to, but um, but you do notice it when the movie gets quiet. And I love that they open the movie with that and then sort of shift that tone into the song that opens the movie. Um, drowning but it yeah, out. yeah, the the music throughout the mu- the callback to uh, John Hamm. I'm take it back to that third act that I just love so much, but like the, the, uh, John Hamm listening to Brighton rock with him in, in doc's place. Yeah. You know, and then they call back to that in the diner when he's listening to that Barry white song and he goes, what are you listening to baby? And he puts it in. He's like, kind of, you know, like nodding his head, but he's so, he's so menacing and so like hurt and angry. And you could just see it boiling in him and he's also being mellow and you're like oh shit like it's it's coming well, like the whole juxtaposition it, of like everything about it is perfect the, in that the scene. scene starts yeah. with the romantic song he's walking in it's a dramatic and then oh shit it's yeah john ham right it's it's great it's 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 a a great shifting of expectations i think yeah uh this movie swings you back and forth several times I'm running out of things to say. Let me check my list. I have a complaint. You want to hear my complaint? Oh, not really, but sure. It's 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 the only thing in this movie that I think doesn't really hold for me, and that's Doc's shift at the end. Oh, you guys are in love. I'll give you money and help you get out of here. Like, he's absolutely shutting everything down. Um, He has made open threats against... Everyone that Baby loves. Baby has screwed up this job for him. And he's... When he sees Baby and Deborah together, all of a sudden, none of that matters. It's completely disingenuous to his character up to that point. And I never buy it. And I think it's... I think it's terrible. I think it's I think it's a... A lazy way out to just left turn that character. I'm going to go ahead and say I agree. I don't care, though. I, I don't I, care. No, ultimately, I it doesn't ruin the movie for me. There's just... When it gets to that part, I, you go, okay, whatever. I did kind of feel like... I think I rolled my eyes when yeah. I was watching. Just because it seemed like a real sudden It shift, is an eye roll, yes. But I could kind of sense, like, okay, this character had someone in his past that, like... This is reminding him of, but there's nothing in the movie up to Yeah, then yeah, really... it just it's a little bit cheap. It is great to watch Kevin Spacey get hit by John Hamm in that cop car like <laughs> six times. <laughs> watch that on slow mo. All right. Um, gotta bring up Paul Williams because it's great to see Paul Williams in a movie. Sure. Uh, he played the butcher, uh, who did the. That's right. I recognized him, yep. but I just didn't know what Paul Williams is. A, he's an actor. Uh, primarily, he's a musician and a songwriter. Uh, he wrote a lot of movie songs in like the seventies. He wrote and uh, 
composed most of the early Muppet music with Jim Henson, stuff okay. like Rainbow Connection and stuff like that. Wrote Rainy Days and Mondays. He wrote Where Do We Go From uh, Where Do I Go From Here, uh, which was an Elvis song, but his version, uh, uh, Paul Williams' version, is at the end of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot. He's uh, Little Enos mm. in uh, Smokey and the Bandit. He's the Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, Paul Williams is great. He's, I, I just think, one of those... This is all off the top of his head, by the way, guys. Uh, yes. I just... No, I, I, uh, he's in a TV show on Amazon called Goliath. It's a legal mm. um, kind of mystery show with Billy Bob Thornton. And he's in, I think, the last season of it. And he plays like a... A lawyer who's kind of haunted by a client he couldn't he couldn't save from the death penalty or something like that, and it's just a heartbreaking uh, performance. And Paul Williams uh, is just so great in that. Okay, um, I, yeah, I don't know what I'm recognizing him from. Yeah, but he, he is. Look up his IMDb. You've seen him in something. He's he's great. He also kind of looks like uh, the guy who plays. <laughs> Uh, Zemo in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As it, oh? It, yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me look him up. Zeno. I don't even know Z- who that is. Is it Baron Zemo? Hold on. And that may be where you're recognizing him from. Uh, anyway. Him showing up in that... Uh, the gun deal. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He's... I think he's great in that because he's, A, the smallest guy in the room. And he has these giant, uh, like, bodyguards. Toby Jones. That's who I'm, I'm talking about. This guy. Yeah. Is that who you're thinking of? I, that's... I think so. He's yeah. in the first Captain America. He, then. That's what I'm saying. He's, My... uh... I, is, does Gosh, he, okay. Does he yeah. play, uh... Oh, no, he... Uh, Zola, Doctor, the, like, yeah, like he's the, the evil, yeah, whatever. he's the evil okay. uh, scientist or whatever. Weird. All right, um, but that's not Paul Williams. But they do look similar. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, I like that he shows up and he's sort of the guy in charge, even though he's like the smallest guy in the room. Yeah. And there's always something great about that dynamic. But I love the uh, the music video that comes out of that tequila playing, and all the gunshots are synced up. Uh, as well as like the bullet impacts and everything is hitting the drum beat uh, perfectly. There's this great, uh, it's it's such a quick shot, but it's so kind of violently romantic where uh, Darling is swinging her gun around and Buddy goes behind her and pulls, it like pulls the slide for, lets the slide go forward, <laughs> like cocks the gun for her. And it's just sort of like this gentleman kind of thing in the middle. I don't, I don't know oh, what romantic. it is about it, but I, there's just something that's like, what a, what a brilliant, uh, choreographed move. And that's what I'm talking about. Like everything here is so, so hugely choreographed to the point where they're putting these little character touches into the moves that everybody's doing. And I think that's just the thing that sells this movie for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from the novelty of syncing up gunshots with drum beats, they let the characters be themselves and be the characters in the midst of all of this. There's you know what room I mean? for that yeah. built in. I, I, I just think it's, I, I think that's a, just such a wonderful moment uh, in, in that 
that couple that is just so much fun. There's, I think it's, uh, what's, uh, Variety? Is that the, 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 the entertainment newspaper? Yeah. yeah, Uh, I think they have a video of Edgar Wright breaking down that scene. Oh, really? I think so, because I remember it, there's an interview, interview where he talks about the shot where, uh, Jamie Foxx fake blows oh, smoke yeah, out yeah. of the cigar, and that was improv yeah. that he had done during one of the takes, and he was like, oh, we need to capture that on film. Right. Uh, so that kind of thing of, like, that proves for a fact that, like, they were very much, like, working with the actors oh, I think, I think to capture all those moments. I think Edgar Wright seems like he's a, a great collaborator with his actors. That's why he and Simon Pegg did so much work to and Nick Frost like they started out together and they were sort of making these I don't know how much improv on set but like they were writing stuff together and and kind of creating together and I think the idea that he's working with actors the caliber of like elephant in the room aside Kevin Spacey's a great actor like when he wants to be like he's done some great roles John Hamm, Jamie Foxx is great. I I I like Jamie Foxx a lot. He's been in some amazing movies. The, these are big uh, names. It's kind of like uh, not just big me- names. I think they're just like they're really good at at acting and collaborating and 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 you know, uh, being kind of flexible, improv mm-hmm. and and things like that. I think I think it just all works really well. They're talented people who kind of earned, their- yeah. Their recognition. And kind of rooted in comedy. Jamie Foxx started out in comedy. John Hamm started in comedy. You know, like, sort of comedic roots, I think, help with that improv kind of atmosphere. Yeah. You know? Reminds me a little bit of, uh, like, Knives Out movies, you know? Kind of, yeah. They're star-studded with, like, these actors who are really, like, doing character work and also the idea that it's sort of a a newer take on a genre you know like that's a newer uh twist on a agatha christie movie this is like a new twist on like the heist movie on the bank robbery movie on the criminal who's got one more job and then you're getting out you know what i mean like it's a take on that uh that's a really original twist on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And stylized. Yeah. Like you I think saying. so. I think there's some crossover with Ryan Johnson and Edgar Wright as far as there's a lot like, of yeah. uh, some DNA uh, that is shared between them. I don't <laughs> know if it, it's probably one of those things where like they hate each other, but like they're, Gosh. they're both like they're similar. Identical. Yeah. Like I wouldn't call them identical, no, but like, I, you know, and we brought up Wes Anderson and I think there's, I think there's a Venn diagram where all three of those cross over at some point, and mm-hmm. and uh, probably the fans of all three of them are very uh, similar. Are the that would be it's one circle, pretty close to one circle, I think. The fandoms, at least, yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah, I think they're all wholly original filmmakers. Uh, but I think they there's definitely an overlap in the kind of work they're doing and some of the stylistic things that they do yeah um i i don't know what else you got well i did want to talk about uh 
how baby ends up like going to jail like that's that's yes. the resolution is he he gives himself up uh and that's kind of like his way of finally escaping the criminal world because if he was on the run like he'd have to keep possibly doing stuff more crimes and you right. know like web of lies it keeps growing uh his way of ending that was not escaping on the road forever but but paying for his saying time. it's time to it's time to, the only way to end this is to you know give myself up yeah and give up and do you think that would have been a different decision for him had Deborah not been with him? Completely stupid question, I know, because the script dictates that she is there with him, and it's all the kind of the point of the movie. But, uh, or do you think he was just so tired of the life? Because I kind of get a sense like he just wanted out either way he could get it. I, I don't know. I, I, I think he, he would have eventually done it regardless because he he had to tell deborah to stop right he he had to let go of her but he also said this isn't you don't belong in this world he said what joe said Mm -hmm. to him like and he wanted her to listen better than he did i i don't know i i get he's trying to protect her but like i think the decision is about him sure i i i think it's him letting go of his hope and of running away and facing what he did. So I think he would have done that regardless. Plus he couldn't drive in the same way because he couldn't hear anymore. So yeah, he'd yeah. be swerving all over. Which was a, I, I think that was a great, I think that was a great touch as well. For uh, him to lose his hearing. For, for John Hamm to go, I'm going to take the thing you love and to deafen him basically. Mm-hmm. Um, also very similar to, uh, I know you don't watch a lot of cop movies, but huge recommendation to everyone listening. Copland, uh, late nineties, Sylvester Stallone movie uh, about, uh, NYPD corruption. And it is, that's an amazing movie. And I just watched it again, like a year ago. That movie holds up so, so good. I'm sure it's a good uh, movie, but the name makes me think of it, like an amusement park. It's the for, idea of all, cops. all these, all of these, New York cops live in New Jersey in this town and there are all these corrupt cops who have sort of like they banded together in this town. Right. And Stallone's it's Sylvester Stallone's greatest acting ever. I swear, he's so good in it. And that's part of the thing is like, he's deaf in one ear. He's always wanted to be a New York cop and he couldn't be because he's deaf in one ear. Mm-hmm. And then like something similar happens at the end and they do the thing where it rings and drowns oh. out every, it just like they do in here, which is so so effective. It just reminded me of that. All right, um, but yeah, I th- I think that's a awesome touch to that is is consequence. He has consequence mm-hmm. for tangling with Buddy. He has consequence for everything he's done, whether he wanted to do it or not. He took part in these crimes. He did it, and some of these crimes, people got seriously hurt, like the the guards of the armored car. Uh, that guy who was trying to stop them rolled his pickup truck over. You know what I mean? Like there were like physical consequences to him participating in these robberies. And, and in those parts of the movie, baby is avoiding it. He's, yes. 
he's driving away so he doesn't have to right. see and he's putting he, himself know, out of the eyeline of it so he can ignore it as much as possible switching the tv off so he doesn't have to see the driver in the hospital right that kind of yes. thing it uh it is turning a blind eye uh or a deaf ear yeah but yeah um i i, I think if it had gone another way and he just got on the road and that was the end of the movie i even though i think baby is a good person i do think i would be like that's a little too sure too convenient that's he kind of got away like i'm that not really be fair i'm not calling for a return to the Hayes code era or anything like that but i think in uh movies like this you have to show somebody uh having consequence you know what I mean? Breaking Bad has to end the way it ends. Not detail-wise, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, Walter White has to pay for everything he's done. If he gets away from it, it's a power fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is fine in some respects, but that's not the story they set up. In the same way here, uh, you know, you, you kind of have to go, well, if he runs... Then he is the bad guy and he is making a choice and, and and everything about him not having a choice in this is thrown out then, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a completely different character at that point. I, I like what you say about the Hayes code code, because it's like, I, I don't think every movie needs to end with like the good guy, right? you know, what? whatever. It shouldn't be regulated. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, but like, yeah. But, like, I lost my train of thought there. Dang. That there are instances where where showing consequences is appropriate. Yes. And also, uh, that, like, this movie set up that this is very much about the consequences. The whole movie's right. talking about Baby, essentially, and his crimes and if he should pay for them or not. Like, that's what the whole movie is yes. kind of about. So it wouldn't make sense to let him get away with the end. Well, it's it's leading up to consequences the whole time. Them going to the diner where Deborah is, is like, oh, we're getting close to home here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Doc sort of going, I know who your girlfriend is. I know about Joe. I know where you live. Like, these sort of veiled threats. And then at the end, like, they do hurt Joe. Like... Not the end end, but like they go and they, you know, when, uh, when baby wakes up and he goes, what about Joe? And Jamie Foxx rolls up in the wheelchair. It's like, oh my God, you think it's the worst ever. It's so scary. But it, it is like, uh, these are consequences and that other people are involved. You know, they're, Mm -hmm. it's, it's leading up and hinting at there's a consequence to dealing with these people. Like. It and, needs to be addressed. And he had the choice to get out and take the consequence from Doc earlier, and he chose not to, which mm-hmm. endangered other people. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing about uh kind of showing that kind of thing that I think that is important in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. Um I watched a movie last year, it was like this independent movie, and it's about a compulsive gambler who's trying to get his life back on track. Um, and then he has somebody who's like leaving town 
who's kind of involved in some shady things. And he goes, hey, I want you to watch this bag of money for me while I'm gone. I'll be back to get it later. I don't remember. Oh, I think he was going to jail or something. He's like, I got this bag of cash. You, You have to hold on to it for me. And so the whole movie is about him being tempted to gamble with this money. Mm-hmm. And he does, and he loses it. And the whole movie is him uh, trying to gamble and get it back. Though it's it's this big long thing, uh, and also he's met a woman, and it's getting in the way of that. And at the end of the day, he goes to this card game and miraculously wins, and everything turns out okay. And I'm like, no, like this whole movie is about how this guy is way off track, and. Ultimately, there's no consequence for him. There's no any. He just gets away. You know, like how does he learn his lesson? Exactly. The whole thing just felt it felt super empty at the end of it. It's Mm. not that I think everybody has to learn a lesson at the end of a movie. But if you're setting up this guy is making mistakes over and over and over. And at the end of the day, he just lucks himself out of it. It's like, then what was the point of showing me that he's making mistakes all the way along? You know, like it's, it's, it's a completely kind of flawed, um, kind of, uh, narrative, I think. So in that way, in talking about consequences, I think it's the same thing. If baby would have gotten away, it would have been like, well, what was all this other stuff for? You know? Right. Um, do you think that Edgar Wright made this movie in America? Because if he'd made it in the UK, baby's real name would have had to be kilometers. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. The look on your face is so much contempt. <laughs> All the bad puns you make, you're going to get on me for that one? It was just so... It was I a, didn't know it, what you were going to It took a say. little while to get there, but uh, yeah. It was unpredicted, is what I'll say. <laughs> Uh, no, right. my answer is because otherwise he'd have to put like the Beatles and the Who. Oh, it would have had to be all British invasion bands. Yeah. 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 Probably Oasis. So much Oasis <laughs> on here. Uh, I did want to mention uh, just quick, real quick sequel talk because. I've been hearing rumors of a sequel for quite a while now. I, after this movie was made. Uh, it, th- that was kind of the buzz is, is this going to get a sequel? And I watched it and I was like, the hell do we need a sequel? I for? really, I'm, I'm in the same camp. Yeah. I, I don't know, but apparently Edgar Wright has written a sequel. Uh, it was like, I, I don't know, a studio paid for it or something. Uh, sure. It was optioned. There we go. Technical terms. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm kind of conflicted because I'm like, this is a perfect movie that the story doesn't need to continue. But also, if Edgar Wright wrote it, I'm sure it's not just like... Right. And and then Baby got sucked back into a life And then he breaks out of jail. And yeah, yeah. I mean... So I'm hoping for like... I don't know. Maybe it is a jailbreak movie. Although that would kind of defeat the purpose of this movie. I don't know. I just hope if they do make a sequel it is still a stand on its own kind of thing where it's like a really stylized good movie sure 
Yeah. That's all I hope for. Uh, yeah. I, 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 um, you know, sometimes sequels will surprise you because there's a lot of movies that you go, oh, that didn't really need a sequel. But then you watch it and you're like, oh, that's pretty good. You know, uh, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of in the same camp where I'm like, oh, this, this kind of ends in a way that, uh, implies, okay, I paid, I paid for my crimes. Now I can go out and live the rest of my life. It, Mm -hmm. it sort of closes an arc of baby's life. And, you know, not that you don't have ups and downs once a part of your life is over, but it's just sort of like, no, you get kind of a, a lot of closure on the issues of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I kind of like this movie as is. I don't want a franchise of, of these things, you know? What if it's, uh, like made in the style of like a cheesy eighties comedy. And it's just, uh, Baby's now a suburban dad, and he's like driving the uh, the carpool uh, to to school. And oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, I I was thinking, what if his son he he has a son, and then oh. the son is causing trouble. Here in the we go again. <laughs> Baby driver again. Yeah, or... and it's like uh, Buddy and Darling's uh, kid is also <laughs> like yeah, yeah, and really so, cheesy son comedy. of Baby Driver. Baby, baby driver. Ooh. Yeah. The literal baby driver. <laughs> Boss, Boss baby, baby driver. driver. There yeah. we go. We got to it, folks. All right. Yes. Ooh. Please keep Alec Baldwin offset. Another canceled person <laughs> could be in the movie. It's perfect. Oh, man. We got there. We got there. All right. You got anything else about this movie? I, I think that's that's it on baby driver. All right. Can close the doors on that. Good pick. Thank you. All right, uh, moving on to shout-outs, I guess. Sure. Uh, yeah. What do you got for us? Uh, this week, it's John Ham week. Like right. I said, I've been re-watching Mad Men. Um, watch this. And recently, I know we try and shout-out, again, I, we do this all the time. We try and shout-out, like, smaller uh, uh, people, that a lot of people that we know, people that we just think need more eyes. This is a, a fairly major movie, but I don't know that it got a theatrical release. Um, but I want to shout it out anyway, because I think it's a, a really fun movie and a really good movie. And I don't feel like anybody is watching it or talking about it. And that is Confess Fletch. It is John Hamm starring as Fletch. Uh, anybody my age remembers the Chevy Chase movies from the 80s where he plays Fletch. Uh, who's an investigative reporter. And these are kind of fun comedy mysteries. Uh, they come from a series of of the Fletch novels. And uh, this is just, they wanted to do another Fletch movie. It's not in the style of Chevy Chase. He's not trying to mimic Chevy Chase. John Hamm is playing it as John Hamm does. And it's a really fun movie. We've been talking a lot about mystery movies with the Ryan Johnson, Knives Out, Glass Onion, uh, doing the Agatha Christie comeback. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a show on, uh, I want I think it's on Peacock called Poker Face with Natasha Lyonne. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Johnson's producing that and he wrote the pilot. And I've only seen the pilot 
It's really good. Mysteries are making a comeback. And I think if you are on that train, uh, I really urge you to watch Confess Fletch. It's so much fun. John Hamm is great in it. It's got a great cast. Uh, and it's a really smart, clever uh, mystery script. It, it's uh, about art theft and murder. And um, I don't know. It just, I just had a, a, a lot of fun with it. It's I want to say it's on Paramount Plus mm. or one of those. Uh, but it's also available to buy when I got it it wasn't available to rent but it was available to buy for like I think it was like $9.99 I just bought it and watched it and and had a great time with it uh on iTunes so I I do think I saw the trailer for that actually yeah and it reminded me of like uh I knew it was coming out and I had seen a trailer and then it sort of came out and it was like there was no promotion behind it or anything, but yeah. it, it was really weird. Yeah. But I did, it, it looked to me like kind of, uh, there was an Adam Sandler comedy, uh, murder mystery. Oh, I know what Netflix. you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it reminded me of that. I, um, or at least the trailer looked to me like it was a parody of Yeah, it's of... it's not a parody movie in the way like a lot of Adam Sandler movies are and it's not like mm. you know fart jokes and stuff but it's I don't know it's just like a really I think clever comedy murder mystery. Mm. Uh Roy Wood Jr's in it as as one of the cops. <laughs> he's just he's so good in it. He's really funny. Uh you may know Roy Wood Jr from The Daily Show. Uh, and he's been a stand-up comic for years. Uh, he's great. He's he's so funny. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I I really urge people to if you if you're into mysteries and this sort of like mystery movie revival that's going on right now, mm-hmm. or if you just like John Hamm, uh, check it out. It's really it's really fun. I think I had kind of written that one off. Uh, yeah, I unfairly. Uh, so Fletch is going to appeal to a lot of people my age who are just more familiar with the earlier movies and that Fletch was a thing. It's kind of coming out of left field for, I think, younger people who have never heard of it. And are like, why, why is it called Confess Fletch? Like, we're supposed to know who this is. And, but it is, I, I think it's probably from a book title. Um, but yeah. Okay. I Makes sense. I really, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's really, uh, really fun. All right. What do you got this week, Oz? Well, uh, I'm. Sh- I thought I would redirect people to uh, a video essay that I found on YouTube: a sane and reasonable video about Avatar: The Way of Water. <laughs> uh, I like that we have to qualify it now. No, no, no. We're we're talking very rationally about it. <laughs> this was made by a YouTuber called Local uh, right after. This movie came out and everyone was very heated one way or the other. Very angry about this movie. And uh, he kind of basically has the same opinion as me, except he really liked Avatar, the first movie. And so he came into this as a big fan of the universe and he thought it was pretty good, but also not revolutionary. Sure. And that was just kind of his, he, he talks about like the, the new graphics and the, the writing, how things are a little redundant, 
and just kind of how it's okay. Okay. So, yeah. I haven't seen it. Um, but, I, I mean, honestly, like, that's what I think about the first Avatar. It's good. It's not... It's not really knocking the door down on anything. It's... It's but not 2001 A Space Odyssey. Pe- right. People unreasonably hate the first Avatar movie. And, and I think it's because of the hype. I, like, I think so, too. I think it just got so overhyped. And I'm like, no, no, it's it's fine. It's a can, fine movie. Like We can remember it as yeah. a decent movie. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a perfectly inoffensive, fine sci-fi action movie. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's it. Like, but it's... It's not great. It's nowhere near like James Cameron's greatest work, you know, but like, it's it's fine. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was a... I am going to check that out without watching that movie, because I probably am not going to watch that movie. Um, But uh, yeah, I I, I think a lot of people just are very reactionary when they... You hear people talk about the, you know. Uh, ultimately, we need to tone it down, guys. <laughs> we Please. need a new font on the post. <laughs> Papyrus. Uh, cool. Yeah. That's cool. I'm going to check that out. On that note, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Picture Show with Austin and Phil Rude. If you enjoy our show, please leave a review on your podcatcher of choice. It helps our visibility. It helps us grow the show. That's right. And another way to help us grow is if you tell your friend. Uh, Because if you have a friend who, you know, maybe has tinnitus or, uh, you know, any kind of auditory issues, uh, we've heard that if you play our podcast in headphones, we will drown that out. And uh, so really, we're kind of a medical... We're, yeah, uh, uh, check with your check with your insurance provider <laughs> to see if uh, if they cover. You may have to uh, kick us a little copay. That's um, right. Uh, uh, if it's being used for this, generous donation. Yep, that's but, right. Uh, yeah, that's what our show is good for. All right. Good to know. Good to know. What do we got next week? Next is... week, I have to follow up this movie. It's a hard task. It really is because I had a, a few. Things that I um, that I thought about. Drive was okay. one of them. I thought oh, it would be kind of a cool double feature to watch essentially the same movie in two different tones. Right. Makes um, sense. I also thought about maybe the greatest heist movie of all time, Michael Mann's Heat, which mm-hmm. is also just like one of my all-time... It's, it's probably one of my Desert Island movies kind of thing. You know, like great, great film. Great high sequence, amazing shootout scene. Couple scenes in this, a little bit reminiscent of the uh, the shootout in this the street uh, scene in in Heat. Okay. Uh, but ultimately, I thought, what is this movie about? And this movie is about car chases and music. Yes. And so I thought, what is another movie that is about car chases and music? And I realized I had the opportunity to bring a movie that was very formative to me while I was growing up and also introduce you to this movie because I don't think you've seen it, which is weird because this movie was was vital to me growing up. Okay. This is huge. We're talking about 1980s classic, the first ever Saturday Night Live spinoff movie, 
We're going to watch The Blues Brothers. Uh, okay. The, 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 the movie about uh, Jake and Elwood Blues trying to save their childhood orphanage uh, by reuniting their band. Is this um, an SNL spinoff movie? Yes. Uh, the, the very first uh, movie to spin out of SNL characters uh, back this, in in 1980. This, this was childhood uh, pivotal to It you? was. This movie used to... Uh, we will talk about it next week. But uh, yes, I saw this movie a lot growing up. A I, lot. What is it again? It's called The Blues Brothers. <laughs> you've never even heard of it. <laughs> I, I this is amazing to me. This is amazing to me that you've never even heard of this movie. Uh, well, on the way to my mailbox right now is a Blu-ray copy of, of The Blues the, Brothers. The Blue and, Man Group. And we, right. are, we are going to watch it. Um, I wonder if when you see it, you will recognize them. Or if you look them up. If... If you will go, oh, I've seen these guys before. Blues Brothers sounds vaguely familiar, it's, but I yes, don't. I didn't realize it was a movie. I thought it was a band or something. Uh, it well, uh, we'll get into it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's a, a movie. It's kind of a musical, and it's okay. it's a musical comedy. It's it, it's great. I, I'm excited I, to figure out what I, this I, is. I love this movie. I'm I'm excited to introduce it to you. All right. Uh, so that is next week. We are following up Baby Driver with uh, 1980s The Blues Brothers. Do not confuse it with the sequel Blues Brothers 2000. Uh, I will never watch that movie again. Okay. Um, strong opinions. Strong. I have strong opinions about Blues Brothers Let's 2000. See that. All right. Um, okay. Austin, what do you got for uh, email? Well, uh, we've only got one, and okay. it's Austin and Phil. Oh, I thought you meant we had an email. At Gmail. We, we had gotten, we had received an email. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no. Not yet. <laughs> okay. All right. We've got one inbox, and that is at austinandphil at gmail.com. And anyone is welcome to message us there. Uh, if you've got thoughts on the show, thoughts on Baby Driver, thoughts on... Any of the movies we've watched. Any of that, yeah. Uh, shout shout us out there. Uh, yeah. Shout at us. Please do. Avoid. Uh, other than that, you can find us on Letterboxd. Um, That's right. Austin, you are Austin N. Rude on Letterboxd, correct? Correct. And you're Phil Rude. Phil Rude. And I have on mine, I do have a list of published of every movie that we have reviewed on the show so it's very cool to see all laid out it really is you can put it in like carousel view and and scroll through them and Mm -hmm. see all the posters if you're curious about what we have or haven't watched and um you can uh go on there and check that out and i also keep lists of every movie that i watched last year and every movie that i'm watching this year um so you can you can follow us over there. That's kind of our best social media hot spot right now. It makes sense for a movie podcast. I think so. It took us a little while to get there, yeah. but it's all good. Uh, that's it. Austin, do you want to read the credits? Yeah, we did it all ourselves. Well, there you have it. We'll see you next time on The Picture Show. See ya.